Section 5 of By the Marshes of Minus. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. By the Marshes of Minus by Sir Charles G. D. Roberts. Gasper of the Black Le Marchands. Part 1. The very heart of the green Acadian land was Grand Pre, village of apples and willows. Behind it rose the long, moderate slopes at Gasparo Ridge, blue-patched in summer with blossoming flax fields, but in late autumn softly crimsoned with the stalks of the ripening buckwheat. Past the eastern skirt of the village ebbed and flowed tumultuously the yellow currents of Gasparo Stream filling with noise the red mud chasm of their channel. In front lay outrolled the treasure of Grand Pre, the fruitful marshes which her dike builders had patiently reclaimed from the sea. Beyond the marshes, gnawing with sleepless depredation at the dikes, rose and fell the huge gray tides of Minas, the unstable among waters, and beyond Minas stood the looming purple bastion of Blomadon, West of the village flourished a thick beech wood, stretching over toward the mouth of the river habitants, and there by the river, part of Grand Pre, yet set apart from her, was the little settlement of the Black Lourdes with its barley and flax fields hewn from the beech wood, its snug acreage of dyke marsh snatched from the habitants' tide. The Lourdes men were dark, even for Acadians. Unlike their fellows, they were of Basque rather than Normandy or Picardy blood. Swarthy of skin, black-haired, black-bearded, and with heavy coal-black eyebrows meeting over the nose, they well deserved their name, the Black Le Marchands. Blackest of all, a Le Marchand of the Le Marchands was Gasper, son of Pierre save that he went with cheek and chin clean-shaven, and his eyes, instead of being black, had the cool, invincible hue of dark steel. The cottage next to the beechwood, just where the Grand Pre Trail emerged, was Gaspar's, a low, white cottage with widely overhanging eaves, door and window frames stained to a slate color with a wash of lime and wood ash, and squat apple trees gathered about it. He, with his mother and his boy brother, Pierrot, lived Gasper, and kept, as it were, the gates of the Lourdes, young though he was but two-and-twenty. His level eyes and visibly resolute mouth made him much of a force among his kinsmen. The red afterlight of autumn sunset, shooting low over the tide and the marshes, poured into the west windows of the cottage and dimmed the blaze on the great kitchen hearth. The smooth dark wood of the walls and the low ceiling warmly reflected it. It lit the bunches of herbs and strings of onions hanging from the beams. It played cheerily over the polished crockery, yellow and brown and blue and gray, on the dresser shelves. It threw a pinkish flush on the sanded floor and on the well-whitened table where at sat Casper and Pierrot. It laughed upon the happy, expectant face of the boy, whose eyes were intent on his mother, 
As she bent her broad, homespun clad form over the pot, swung in the fireplace, but upon Gasper's face it only brought out the lines of anxious annoyance. There was no sound in the kitchen but the crisp spluttering of the hot lard in the pot. Mistress Le Marchon dexterously dipped out a dish of little brown crescent-shaped cakes, steaming and savory to smell. Carrying them to the dresser, she dusted them with powdered maple sugar. There she left them, the lodestone of Piero's eyes. While from two covered dishes by the fire, she fetched a baked shad and a pile of hot barley cakes. This portion of the meal was to be dealt with before Perrault should be let loose upon the hot cookies. She seated herself opposite her two sons and her round, hot, gentle face turned beaming from one to the other. But it grew troubled at Gasper's gloom. What is it, she asked in the old Normandy dialect, which prevailed among the Acadians? The Black Abbey, answered Gasper sententiously breaking his barley cake into a bowl of milk. Well, and what of him, Gasper, inquired the dame, mildly. Just this, mother, said the young man, looking up, his black brows one straight frown across his face. He is in Grand Pre and on his way to see me, according to what I have just heard from yellow Baptiste at the ferry. But what can the good father want with you, my son? asked the mother tremulously. You can call him good to ward off his evil, mother, replied Gasper with a short laugh. Well, it's no harm to try, but I fear he has heard I am not hot enough against the English to suit him. No knowing what he may have heard, there is like to be trouble for us out of this visit. Oh, don't anger him, my son, pleaded his mother, growing white and worried. Why are you not hot against the English, Gasper asked Perrault, in a town of rebuke? Are they not our enemies? Have they not trampled us down and torn us from our own king? Are we not French, Gaspar? You don't know what you are talking about, boy, retorted Gasper, with the wonted gentle patience of the older brother. Don't I? cried the lad, indignantly, his eyes flaming. Oh, but when I am old enough, I won't stay here, grub, grub, grubbing. But I'll go to Quebec and fight for France, for King Louis and for the Golden Lilies. A rare smile softened the harshness of Gasper's face. I spoke in haste because I am troubled, said he. Only a brief while back, I thought as you do now, Perrault. And I like your spirit, too. But look. Years ago, France sold us to the English to purchase peace. We belong to England. These years, she has ruled us better than we were ever ruled before, and we have prospered. Nevertheless, we have been forever troublesome and a thorn in her side. I should hope so, interrupted Perrault scornfully. But she has been patient and never punished us, and let us have our own way. And we have waxed fat under her care. You and I, Pierrot, are born under the English flag. Consider that. It is hard to see one's duty clearly. Think of what the Black Abbey has made us do. Things to make us ashamed of the name of Frenchmen. Think of the massacre of sleeping women and children at Dartmouth. Think of the good and brave Howe, murdered by Lagarne savages under a flag of truce.
The boy was taken aback for a moment. Then he cried passionately. One bad priest could not make me turn against my country. I say now, it is hard to know what is our country, said Gasper, earnest in his argument. We are born English, some will say, yet we are surely not English. France we love, but she cast us off, and now tries to make a cat's ball of us, or else forgets us and leaves us to the mercies of Quebec. Oh, Quebec, there's a rottenness for you. You don't want to go there, Perrault. There, New France is being betrayed, murdered. There, because the great thief, the prince of cheats, fattens himself and his crew on the people and sucks his country's blood. The people are crushed with wicked taxes, Perrault. They groan and starve there. And then look at us, the English ruling us and plenty in our houses, and no misery save what Quebec and the Black Abbey make for us. Look at it, Perrault. No, it is clear, we have no country. We save this good, kindly, Acadian land. Let us be true to Acadie. The door behind the speaker opened suddenly. A very proper sentiment had properly understood, Gaspard Le Marchand came a strident, authoritative voice, and a lean figure in a black cassock upgirt, for marching strode into the room. The face of the newcomer, though almost grotesque by reason of its long, bulbous-tipped nose, was never known to excite derision. The chin and mouth were too fanatically domineering, too much of a power spoke in the bitter, narrow-set, piercing pale eyes, to make pleasantry easy, for the bravest. Mistress Lily Marchand sprang up in a flutter, ran around the table, sank on her knees, and besought a blessing. Rather doubtfully, Perrault followed his mother's example, but Gasper merely arose, bowed respectfully, and asked the visitor to be seated. I heard that you were on your way hither, sir, said he, and in part expected that you might honor us. A guilty conscience, I fear, replied the grim priest, dismissing the woman and the boy with a somewhat perfunctory benediction. I will not sit down in your house, Gasper Lermachon, till I know if it be the house of a loyal man. Be seated then, Father Lagarde, said Gasper with cool civility. My conscience is at ease. I confessed to good Father Fafford last Sunday, and I am a loyal man according to my lights. Lagarde's lips became thin with anger, and his voice took on a menacing edge. Hark you, said he, you speak well of the English, and ill of the authorities at Quebec. Is this true? Would you have me speak well of Monsieur the Intendant, sir? asked Gasper, unsmiling, but with irony under his tongue. Speak of him not at all, then, snapped Lagarde. But what of the other charge? I must confess, sir, I have remarked upon the forbearance of these English, and upon their moderate rule, answered Gasper firmly. The black abbe looked at him with a long, silent scrutiny, under which Perrault trembled, and Mistress Le Marchand began to sob. But Gasper's black brows took it serenely. So much an enemy may concede, said Lagarde at last, in a voice grown smooth, as was ever his want when most dangerous. But you are young, 
and not yet quite resolute to follow the path of duty, my son. I must strengthen you, I perceive. You must choose here, now, between France and England. Under what compulsion, sir, asked Gasper, very civilly, though a flush glowed under the swart tan of his face. Do you need to ask, my young friend, inquired Lagarne, almost tenderly, but still standing. My faithful micmacs are with me. Remember how difficult it is at times to restrain their seal for France, their rage against traitors. Bobassin, luckless village, defied them. And alas, Bobassin is not. This is a pleasant home of yours, my son. It were pity, indeed, if they should turn their zealous indignation against this house. Yet a lesson would not be amiss in these parts. There was dead silence for a moment in the room. Then Casper Lamachon laughed aloud. Lagan eyed him with angry amazement. I can see a corner, said Gasper, when I am in it. What do you mean, asked Lagar curtly. He liked not riddles save of his own propounding. I had hoped but to till my fields here and not meddle, replied Gasper with an air of resignation. But since I must choose, I have chosen. Even if I loved the English, which I don't. Even if I were cold toward France, which I am not. My choice would be the same. I am for France, sir. The black abbey sat down, but Gasper continued. I am for France of a surety. Your arm, Father Lagar, is long and nimble. The arm of the English governor at Halifax is not so long, and it moves very slowly. Nevertheless, it may be long enough to reach you, sir, some day. Report says it gropes for you very zealously. You have chosen with discretion, said Lagarde, but the manner of your choice is something lacking in the reverence due to your superiors. It were well to amend that, perhaps. Gasper promptly seated himself and fixed his cool, gray eyes on the eyes of the priest. Do not push me too hard, said he significantly. You have now my obedience. Do not demand what may be difficult for me to give. You are right, exclaimed the singular churchman, springing up and speaking with evident sincerity. Your obedience is necessary for the cause. Your reverence, that would be to me as a man. Who am I that I should demand it? I am but the humble instrument. His eyes gleamed with a fanatical brilliancy. But look, you Gasper Lermachand, he went on, drawing himself up and stretching out his arms solemnly. This land of Acadie shall again shine among the rich jewels of the crown of France. And this hand of mine, mark you, this hand of mine shall place it there. With this he strode to the door, and a look of deep relief came upon the countenances of his ears. But at the door he stopped, he turned, he came back to the table. His whole demeanor had changed. His mouth wore a smile of caustic irony. I was forgetting, said he, the chief part of my purpose. Your conversion, my son, upon which I had counted indeed, was perhaps something sudden. I will fortify you in it. You shall signally serve France, and that at once. 
Gasper bowed his readiness, betraying neither anxiety nor reluctance. He was not one to spoil a gift by grudging. A band of my faithful followers will set out tonight for the Isthmus, continued Lagarn, scrutinizing Gasper's face. They go on a grave enterprise of great moment to the fortunes of this land, and they will be strengthened by your presence. You shall go with them, my son, that I may thereafter feel assured of you. And the enterprise, asked Gasper. There are some English settlers to be discouraged, answered Lagarde grimly. You will know more when the time comes, my son. You will clothe yourself and paint yourself as an Indian, of course. Be ready at moonrise. It is not war, this, protested the young man. What have we to do with war, sneered the visitor. It is victory we need. Are you with us or against us, Gaspar Le Marchand? I will be ready, replied Gaspar, with indifference, and the black abbey, turning abruptly, departed without a word. Eat your supper, Perot, ordered Gaspar. I have work for you. And the boy, with a white and frightened face, did as he was bidden. Gasper went on with his meal in silence, his black brows lowering over his eyes. His mother sat sobbing. Oh, my boy, my Gasper, you will be killed, she exclaimed brokenly after a few minutes. Nonsense, mother. It's not that, said the young man. There's no danger for me. What is it then, Gasper, she asked, drying her eyes. He looked at her in wonder. It means, he answered presently, that some harmless English settlers are to be murdered in their beds by the Black Abbey's red devils, and that I am to take a hand in it, in order that it may be impossible for me ever after to expect any mercy from Halifax. Why do you go then? demanded the boy indignantly, his art of France much diminished. Because, replied Gasper, rather those strangers than my mother and my brother, Lagarn and his power are here. If I defied him, this house would be ashes and you homeless, perhaps worse, this very night. Slow, slow and stupid are the English, he went on, flaming into sudden anger. Why do they not shield those of us who wish to live at peace and obey their laws? We are ground to dust between this upper and the lower stone. Let them look to themselves. Nevertheless, I will warn them. Slip you out now, Perrault, down back of the barn and into the cover of the wood, and run, run your best to Father Fafard. Tell him to get word to the English at Pisiclot that a raid is afoot against one of the English settlements. Vita! The boy, pleased at the weighty errand, was off noiselessly in a moment, despite his mother's tearful attempt to stop him. He's like a shadow. Don't be afraid, mother, said the elder brother, reassuringly, hasting to finish his meal. Come and eat, for there's much to be done after. Late that night, when the moon, shapeless and withering, crept up over the fringe line of the beech woods, the black abbe came again to the door of Gasper's cottage. He was met in silence by a painted, leathern-leggened young warrior whose steady eyes met his with a cold, gray gleam. Lagarde was too hot a fanatic, too dominant and domineering, 
to be a discerner of men's minds. He was satisfied with his taciturn concert. Come, he said, leading the way to the river, where the canoes lay at the brink of the full tide. End of section five.